You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Well, let's turn in our Bibles to 2 Corinthians. I like to hear pages turn every now and then. I know sometimes we've got phones and computers and we've got screens and other ways you can get connected to the message. But if you have a hard copy of your Bible, want to turn there. Uh, love the sound of those pages turning, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. But before we look at the text this morning, I want you to notice our memory verse on the screen. You're probably wondering, oh my goodness, I didn't know we had a memory verse this morning. It's okay. Nobody will be called out to, 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 to do it. But you can say it with me together if you can see the screen. Would you do that? Uh, Job 23.10. Ready? But he knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come out. As gold. We've been focusing uh, every sermon uh, to an extent on this verse as a foundation for what we're going to say. Now, if you notice, I've got the word tried uh, capitalized. I want it to be, I want it to kind of, I want you to pull that word out of the text just for a moment with me. And let's just pay close attention to the word tried. We've been talking about trials. We've defined trials as a painful circumstance allowed by God to transform my conduct and my character. So this is what we've been defining a trial as. It's something that God allows in our lives, and the purpose of it is to transform us, is to make us more like him, is to transform our conduct, transform our character. But as we pay close attention to this word tried, I want you to think with me a few few examples of the way we can better understand what God is trying to do. Uh, The word tried. Uh, I remember my mother growing up would often say to me as a, as a young boy, I was somewhat feisty, decent kid, but I, I, could, I could push her. And she would say, son, you're trying my patience. And, and, and she said, you better cut it out, boy. You're trying my patience. Now, what she didn't know is what I was trying to do was I was trying to see how much patience she had. So I was just testing her to see how much patience she had. I, was, I had a good intentions and all that, right? Or maybe the bully. You ever had a bully at school? I have had bullies uh, at school before uh, where, where they were much bigger and stronger than I and, and really wanted me to know just how strong they were. So they would say, hey, you want to try me? You want to see what I got? Come on, just try me. And I knew what they were saying. They were challenging me to, to, to push the envelope just a little bit so, I could, so they could show me just what they could do to me. Well, the difference is that God is not finding out anything about you. He knows everything about you, but you're finding out as God tries you uh, how how you uh, have something that is available to you as a result of him trying you, things that you can do, ways that God can use you that would just, uh, you would not believe if you'll just submit and surrender to what you're going through as a as, a, as something given to you, allowed by God. So, I want you to think about that as we jump into the passage this morning. First of all, I, wa- I want you to think about this with me, that sometimes it seems like trials never end. Uh, but they do. Trials do end. They, they do come to end. In fact, there's a lot of proof in Scripture, although it seems like sometimes the grief never ends. One thing we learn about trials is that they do have, they come for a season, and, and then they leave. Sometimes that's hard, though, for people to comprehend. And sometimes it's hard for people to listen to who attend our church, like John and Jasmine. Jasmine was here last week. She comes to church when she can in a wheelchair. She's only 14 years of age, but she has a a, a crippling disease. So when you talk about a trial, 
uh, and you talk about the trial ending, she's going to have a hard time with that. Or maybe Mark Adams, who came to church this morning in the first service in a wheelchair. And Mark is an inspiration to me. I mean, he, he never misses church, and yet he has a crippling disease and has had it for over 20 years. So when you talk about a trial coming to an end and it's only there for a season, I can only imagine as Mark sits in the service in a wheelchair, he's thinking, well, preacher, you're not thinking about my trial because my trial doesn't seem to end. So with that in mind, I want you to look with me at a passage of Scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And I want you to see something with me. We'll get to the context a little bit later. But let me lay a foundation for just a few moments. Verse 7, Paul says, So to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. To keep me from being conceited. Now three times I pleaded with the Lord about this. Three times I pleaded that it would leave me. But he said to me. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. (laughs) Therefore. I will boast all the more gladly of my infirmities, of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses. I'm content with insults. I'm okay with hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, let's go back to verse 7 and start with just a phrase at a time as we begin to just really process this passage so much here look at verse 7 i have it on the screen so to keep me from being conceited pay close attention to that word a thorn that's going to be our word for trial this morning a thorn was given me in the flesh that word literally means a splinter (laughs) and the word splinter literally means a small piece of wood embedded in the skin that causes pain amen anybody ever had a splinter before or a piece of lead go through your hand or something like that. Uh, I had, after I preached this morning, I had several people uh, on the way out just sharing with me. Man, that was so applicable. Man, this week this happened. That week, last week that happened. Preacher, I've still got a splinter in my hand. I haven't been able to get it out. I mean, you know, I, I think I've done more damage than the splinter has done to undamage the splinter, you know. And so I've got, I've got, I've got an issue. I remember growing up how many times, because we played outside a lot, right? I mean, video games weren't a big thing or even a thing. And uh, so it was always, you know, Mom, can I go outside? We were hours and hours and hours and hours, my brother and I, playing Sandlot baseball in New Orleans and basketball in these, you know, parks. And, I mean, we just were always outdoors and always getting splinters. And, and, and my mom was an RN, so she loved them. She, we'd come in, she'd, you know, get that little, you know, needle out, and she'd work in there. And honestly, I mean, sometimes the damage that the thorn had done or the splinter had done was not near as much as the damage that mom did trying to get it out you know and we were left with more to deal with after that all took place so what was Paul's thorn what was this thorn that was given to him in the flesh well it's interesting there's been a lot of ink spilt over that question what was Paul's thorn Tertullian said who was a church historian he said he I think it was headaches and then Ramsey said it was epilepsy. I don't have any reason why they believed it was, but this is what they said. Uh, Luther said it was demonic oppression. Augustine said it had to have been relational adversaries in Corinth. I had a college professor. This was the one that I remember 
I was sitting in a, a little small college in Indiana, and one of the college professors said, well, I really believe it was that he, was, he had eyesight problems. He was blind because of what Scripture says in Galatians 6.11. See how large a letter that I write unto you. So he said, yeah, obviously, Paul was writing large block letters because he couldn't see, and he came up with to this conclusion. At least he had a verse for it, you know. And, uh, and then I've heard character flaws, gallstones, besetting sins, but the fact is we don't know. We don't know what Paul's thorn was. Does the Bible tell us what Paul's thorn was, yes or no? No. So, does God want us to know what Paul's thorn was? No. If the Bible doesn't tell us, then God doesn't want us to know. And I think that's a good thing. Because you know what I think it was? It was my thorn. <laughs> you can think it was your thorn. Hey, Paul had a thorn, I had a thorn. I'm like Paul. That's pretty cool, right? I mean, we, we, so, so what I'm saying is that obviously God didn't want us to know what the thorn was. And I do believe there's a, a slight difference between this thorn and, an, and a normal trial. A thorn was or is an enduring source of pain. Something that doesn't come and go so quickly. It is allowed by God. It was for Paul's good, and they are for our good. But it was different from what we'll just call this morning a regular trial. James 1.12 says this about trials. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test. Another translation says, for when he is tried, he'll receive the crown of life. Normal trials get over with. Normal trials don't go on forever. 1 Peter 4.12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. It comes upon you. It comes upon you for a season, but then it leaves. The fire eventually goes out. Hebrews 12.11 is a passage that we've looked at quite often in this series, and it makes it very clear that trials are for a season. It says, for the moment... For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, when it's over, when it's finished, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So again, foundationally speaking, a normal trial gets done. But a thorn is not like that. Not every Christian gets a thorn. A thorn is an enduring Source of personal pain allowed by God for my good. So let's take a moment. I've got two thoughts, two divisions of the message. One, I want to talk to you about how do we understand the thorn. And then secondly, I'd like to address this thought. How do we live with it? Because if it's going to be around for a while, I've got to keep going. I don't want to quit. I, how do I live with something that is difficult to live with over an extended period of time if it's not going away anytime soon? So let's understand the thorn together. What was the source of Paul's thorn? Well, we can find that in the text as well. 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 7. Look at it with me. It says, to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh. And notice this phrase. Interesting, isn't it? A messenger of Satan. A messenger of Satan. Remember Peter? And we give Peter a tough time. You know, for, for some of the things that he did. And, and I understand why we do. But, but remember what Jesus said to Peter in Luke 22 and verse 31. He said to Peter, Satan has desired that he may have you so he can sift you as wheat. Satan desires to have you, Peter. 
Now, God did not cause that, but God obviously allowed that. And just like with Job, there were boundaries to what God was allowing. Allowed by God, yes, but sent by Satan. A messenger of Satan. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12 again, verse 7. Notice this phrase in the text as well as we break it down. We're talking about Paul was conceited and he talked about the surpassing greatness of the revelations. This thorn given him in the flesh, a messenger of Satan. Why was it given to him? To harass him. Satan gave him this thorn to harass him. The NIV and NASB say to torment him. The New King James says to buffet me. The messenger of Satan gave me this thorn in the flesh to buffet me. Literally, it means to strike with the fist, to box, to punch. It's a strong word. It's the same word that's used for blows afflicted on Jesus. In Matthew chapter 26 and verse number 57, when the high priest allowed them to strike Jesus with their fist. It's the same word. This is the exact same phrase. Bumps and bruises, painful but not fatal. And so what is Satan's goal in all this? His goal is clear. It is to harass us. It's to torment us. His goal in giving us this thorn is to paralyze us with fear, to make you think all is lost and nothing will change. That's Satan's goal. And if you have a thorn, if you have a thorn, if you understand, maybe you've had one, maybe you're in one, maybe you're going to go through one, this is... This is what Satan's goal is. But I've got some good news for you. What is God's goal? What's God's goal in all this? Well, could I encourage you for just a moment? And by the way, every sermon that I preach is to encourage you. <laughs> There's obviously, we've got to go through some, sometimes some mud to get there. But let me encourage you with Romans 8.28. Because Scripture says God's goal is this. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For good to those who are called according to his purpose. God has a goal as well. And God's goal is good. God has a desire for you to come out of this in a good way. I want you to see something else here in 2 Corinthians 12, 7, as we break down the phrase. He says here, and I don't, I don't think what, what we have anything very specific here, but I know this thorn is real. So notice more about this text. To keep me from becoming conceited. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given me in the flesh. So it was a thorn in the flesh. Speaking more about towards our humanity versus not a thorn in, the, in our spirit, but a thorn in our flesh. Maybe it was a thorn in our mind, a persistent doubt that we go through. Maybe it was a thorn in, in, in Paul's emotions, a grief that just wouldn't go away. We, we've heard some things this morning about grief and things that people are going through and and, and the lives of people that have been killed in car accidents and the grief that people must be facing today. And even 21 years ago in the towers, there's still, I'm sure, things that people are experiencing 21 years later. Maybe it's in my will, a stubborn, persistent failure in my life. And Satan's goal is to torment me. But I want you to know, if God didn't plan to use the thorn, he would not have allowed the thorn. God's plan is to use that thorn. He's promised it, that he's using all things together for his good to those who love him. You don't have to be able to see it. You don't have to give, come up with a plan to, to try to work it out. The plan is on God. That's good news this morning. You don't have to work up a plan. You don't have to figure it all out. 
God has promised he's going to use it for your good and for his glory. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Your thorn may impact people that you never meet. Isn't that amazing? I, mean, I was thinking about Mark this morning and how he has impacted my life by just coming to church every Sunday. And I don't know that I've ever told him until he heard me say it this morning in the service. But I often think, man, if Mark can make it to church in a, wheel, a wheelchair every morning, knowing it takes him three hours just to get ready to get out of bed. they got a crane that lifts him up out of bed. His wife's got to pull the chain. and they, I've been to his house. I've watched the process. It's unbelievable what he does just to sit in church. And so it is a little bit tough sometimes to hear somebody say, well, I'm not coming to preach. It's a little wet outside. I'm thinking... Okay, <laughs> but I'm inspired by Mark. <laughs> I'm inspired by that. Mark may not have known that, but I think that there are things we go through that one day we'll find out that as we endured the pain of a, tro- a trial or a thorn that it impacted the lives of people we never met. What God is doing in you has a specific goal. And for Paul, the specific goal is found in the text. Notice it on the screen. It was to keep him from being conceited conceited i wonder if there's anybody else who has a different translation than that if you would just don't mind we're, we're kind of we treat church here a little bit like a class time so if you've got a different translation would you just raise your hand and shout it out just something other than to keep me from being conceited okay frankie i would not exalt myself that's interesting you know uh because oftentimes when we are uh when we're going through something and, 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 and we're doing well and acting as if we've got it all together. Uh, sometimes pride can settle in and we can exalt ourselves as if we are the reason why we're doing so well, you know. And so to keep me from being too exalted or from being conceited. Anybody else got something else just out of curiosity? Any, any, other, any other translation? Proud. And, and that's exactly what I think Scripture is teaching us here. I'd like to suggest what he's talking about here is independence from God. The attitude that says, I can handle this, I can fix this, I can settle this. The thorn is going for keeping me from coming to a place in my life where I give it to God and where I just think to myself, I've got this, I can handle this, I'm good. I don't don't need your help, I don't need God's help, I've got this, I'm okay. This week, um, many of you read the post of what Sharon is going through. She shared it with us very openly on Facebook. And so we've had time to talk to Sharon and Richard about what they're going through. And, and, and tonight's going to be a special night as we anoint them with oil. But I called Sharon yesterday or the day before and said, hey, I know this is it's, it's, it's new, it's sensitive, but could I? Would you give me the liberty with pastor's discretion to just share a little bit about what you've said in your post and just comment on that as a, as a result of what I'm preaching on it. And she said, preacher, whatever you need to do, whatever you need to do, I, I trust God. I, I trust that if God wants to use this Sunday, that's fine. And so I, I, I took Sharon's post. I typed it out. And I want to read it to you and make a few comments. Sharon, thank you for this. Life is full of ups and downs. And to be honest, lately mine consisted of a lot of highs. So I suppose I was due a curveball. I thought about that. You know, sometimes life does consist of a lot of highs. Aren't they great? Aren't highs great? I mean, listen, there's nothing like a winning streak, Coach Don. 
I'm sure you guys won't know about that yet. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> Baseball coach. Yeah. Sorry, guys. All right. No. <laughs> Nothing like a streak, right? Hey, we got to build a program here. It doesn't always go on Wednesday. I just kept you humble to keep you from being conceited. I am your thorn, a messenger of Satan. Yeah. To buffet you. All right. But sometimes, you know, I, I remember, and I'm going to tell a story at the end of the message just to be transparent, but you know, there were a lot of highs in my life, a lot of highs in ministry, a lot of highs, a lot of accolades, a lot of, a lot of awards, a lot of, a lot of banners, you know, a lot, a lot of growth, a lot of praise of man. And those moments are great. But then comes the curveball. Then comes the curveball. I received news that I didn't want, but I'm just looking at it as a bump in the road, and as a friend said, not the end of the road. I lost my mom and sister both in their 50s to cancer, and even though I don't fear cancer, I stay on top of my mammograms. This week, a very suspicious mass is detected at my routine checkup, and I went back for a second view with an ultrasound that showed it's most likely cancerous. And again, we found out more about that Wednesday. I'll, I'll comment on that. But my lymph nodes look good, which is a huge praise. I return Wednesday for a biopsy, and we're waiting for the results, and we have those results. Please help me pray for healing and direction in the days ahead. I'm not sure what the future holds, Sharon said, but I know who holds the future. And that gives me perfect peace. Jesus has been making himself so real to me lately. And I smiled when I, when I read that and thought about this series of messages and the 30 years that Richard and Sharon have been coming and sitting in this church and the messages and the small groups and the teaching and the, and the word of God that, that they've been receiving for all of these years. And the perfect peace, Jesus has been making himself so real to me lately. He's answered so many prayers, big and small. I know he's in control of this. He's not going to leave me. It's all in his hands. And then the news comes. That's a very aggressive, fast-growing carcinoma. And then she says, but I'm not focusing on that. She talked about in her post after finding out, look at Jesus. Look at what God's doing. I'm thankful for my friends. I'm thankful for all the prayer, all the love, all the support. And then she said, of all things, that God is up to something big. God is up to something big. Listen, don't claim to think that you know what God's reasons are for giving someone a thorn or for, for allowing a thorn in someone's life. I don't claim to know the reasons why. I just know this. I know God knows why. And God's got a purpose. And God's got a plan. And for Paul, it was to keep him from being conceited. And whatever God is doing in, whatever the reasons are, God has a lesson he wants to get through Yes to Sharon, yes to Richard, yes to their children, but to all of us, to all of us here today. She's part of the body of this church family. And because of that, we, we are called church to, to enter into this trial with her, to enter into this struggle with her. And to say, God, what is it you're, you're teaching us? What is it you're showing us? Whatever it is, God, we're going to get it as we never have gotten it before. And it's going to hurt. And sometimes it hurts longer. But we're going to be changed by it. We're going to be changed by it. And so back to the text. Let's just look at the text for just a moment. I told you we'd come back and look at the context of the text. And so see with me here why God was allowing this for Paul. He, here's the context. Paul's spiritual resume is, as you may know, and if you don't know, it's pretty impressive, okay? Paul's got a very impressive spiritual resume, and the Corinthians were attacking it. They were attacking Paul's motives. They were attacking Paul's apostleship. They were attacking even the way that Paul spoke. 
And so Paul was defending himself, and he says in verse 1, I must go on boasting. Though there's nothing to be gained by it, I'll go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, by the way, he was talking about himself, was caught up into the third heaven. Now, that means what we see in the daytime is the first heaven. What we see in the nighttime, the stars and the moon, is the second heaven. But the third heaven, that, that's heaven, heaven. Amen. And so he says here that I was caught up into this third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body. I don't know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body. I don't know. God knows. And he, Paul, he said, I heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. In other words, if I could take a time out right here and just say this about that, that Paul said, hey, if I told you what I've heard, it would blow your mind. And I don't want to blow your mind because it would be an ugly sight to blow a couple hundred people's mind in one place at the same time. So Paul says, I'm not going to tell you what I've seen because if I did, you would not be able to comprehend it. It's so amazing. Oh, listen, can you imagine how awesome heaven's going to be? Wow, I've got so much to look forward to. He says, on behalf of this man, I'll boast. But on my behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Though if I wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I'd be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears of me. Sounds like a pride problem to me. And so he says, to keep me from being conceited. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. And for the second time in the same verse, it's significant, I think, to point out that he says it again, to keep me from being conceited. So what was the thorn for? To keep Paul from being conceited. To keep me from being puffed up. To keep me from being too confident. To keep me from the attitude that says, I can handle this. So notice what Paul did. He says he prayed. And he prayed three times. He said, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Now, when you think about pleading with the Lord three times, I don't want you to think about a one, two, three prayer. Just real quick, Lord, remove this trial. In Jesus' name, amen. And then maybe uh, 10 minutes later, let's do it a second time. And then 10 minutes later, a third time. No, three seasons of extended, intense prayer. Anybody ever been there? I mean, fist in the air. I have on the side of the road, 2 o'clock in the morning. Don't have time to tell the story. Fist in the air. God, you've lost your mind. You have no. I'm in your will. I'm pastoring a church. I drove from California. I'm doing everything right. I'm faithful to my wife. God, I don't deserve this, God. You've blown it. You've messed up. You've obviously forgotten who I am and where I live and what I've done for you, God. Oh, here's my credentials. I've been there. An extended season of prayer. Wife's in the hospital for 28 days, and you just don't get it. And nothing seems to be changing. Nothing's going the way that I planned. And so you pray that. God, take it away. And you wait a while, and then there's another season of prayer, and it's more tense. It's more intense. It's, it's, it's more, uh, there's more prevailing, and, and, and there's more begging and pleading, and, and it's a second prayer. And then there's a third prayer. And, and, and so I believe with all of my heart that Paul is speaking here about one and two and three times of prayer, intense prayer. Take it away, God. Take this thorn away. Does that remind you of anything? Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
Lord, take this cup from me. Lord, take it from me. An hour later, if it's possible, Lord, if it's possible, take this cup from me. An hour later, if it's not possible, they're not my will, but thine be done. And then the soldiers come to the garden. The disciples wake up because, remember, they fell asleep during this intense time of prayer with the Father. Peter wakes up, sees what's going on, pulls his sword out, and attempts to, many think, take the head off of one of the soldiers and missed it, cut his ear off. Jesus performs that miracle that oftentimes we overlook, puts takes that ear, puts it right back, miraculously in moments, back on his head, completely healed. And he turns to Peter and he says this in John 18, 11, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Peter, there's no other choice here. I don't have any other choice. Isn't that oftentimes what keeps us going? It's not going away. God, I have no other choice but to keep on going and trust that God has a plan, that God is in control, that it's not my will, but his is going to be done. And look at the answer that Paul received. And this is where I want to transition the message to not just understanding the thorn. Hopefully by now we, we are understanding the thorn. But now let's determine how do you live with it? How do you accept it? How do you just embrace the thorn? Here's how you do it. Paul's answer after praying three times, God, remove it, was this. Notice in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, but he said to me. This is fascinating. This is the only time in Scripture that Paul quotes Jesus. But he, Jesus, said to me. This is in the perfect tense. This is Jesus said it. Jesus settled it forever. My Grace is sufficient. Church, I just got, what do you call them? Goose pimples? God pimples? You ever had that when you say something and you're like, I just want everybody to get this because I'm really feeling it right now? My grace is sufficient. Let's talk about that grace for just a moment. Let's talk about this amazing grace that we've often sung about through the years. Amazing grace. Because if we are going to get through the thorn, if we're going to get through the child, we have to have the grace. His grace is sufficient. Your thorn will crush you without the grace. You will become bitter in a flash without the grace. The grace is the package that all blessings come in. It's the grace of God over and over and over and over and over in Scripture. A couple of examples in Romans in chapter number 16, verses 20 and 24. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Verse 24, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. And over and over and over and over again in Scripture, we see those words. The grace of Christ be with you. The grace of Christ be with you. We hear it here at Gospel Light in our benediction oftentimes before we leave. Go in grace. Go with the grace. Because without the grace, there's no way you and I can handle the thorn. There's no way you and I can go through the trials without the grace. Grace, first of all, in salvation. There's no way to know Christ person, have an intimate relationship with him as your savior without the grace. Think with me for just a moment. Acts 20, 24. 
Paul said, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. For Ephesians 2, 8 says, for by grace you have been saved. It is the grace of God that saves you, but not just in salvation, grace in sanctification. And, and Paul and Barnabas said in Acts 13, 43, who they, they spoke with them and they urged them to continue in the grace of God. I love that. It's not just grace in salvation, but it's grace in sanctification. How capable are you of saving yourself? Zero. But I want you to know as well that you are no more capable of sanctifying yourself as you are of saving yourself. Not in your own strength. There's no way to do that. Colossians 2, 6 says, Then as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Yes, you've received Him in salvation. That was the grace for that. Now there needs to be grace to walk every single day, to submit yourself every day. And you can only do that by the grace of God. Grace to serve. Romans chapter 12, verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. Let us use them in service. God's given us all a gift by his grace. Grace to be strong, 2 Timothy 2, 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I know grace is unmerited favor. I know its source is Jesus himself. But grace is also the capacity to do anything spiritually profitable. Anything. Nothing spiritually profitable can be done without grace. Grace, listen, you can't pray without grace. You can't serve God without grace. You can't understand the Bible without grace. You can't get through this thorn without grace. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, again, verse 9. My grace is sufficient for you. Stick with the amazing grace of God. Stick with it. Won't you love that song? It's the classic of all classics. It's the one we sing more than, it's the one we have memorized. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. We talk about that grace that's kept us safe thus far. It's going to be that same grace that leads us home. This was the grace that Paul was so concerned about when he wrote to the church in Galatia in chapter 1 and verse number 6 where he said, I marvel. I'm just so concerned. I'm so blown away that you're turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. Don't do that. Don't turn away from the grace. You've got to have the grace. Exactly what I need to do exactly what God wills for me to do every day. Grace is the strength to do it. Grace is the courage to do it. Grace is the faith to do it. It's the perseverance to keep going. Grace is confidence. Grace is discernment. Grace is comfort. Grace is conviction. It always comes from the grace of God. The ability to do anything spiritually profitable, it's grace. The amazing grace of God. Now, what's amazing about that grace, and I, and I, and I, I got excited about this yesterday, and, and I, I call, even though Jeremy's out of town, I called him, I said, hey, study, you got five minutes? I do this sometimes with Jeremy or Scott or somebody at the church, just have fun. Maybe I'll go to Kevin's office or something. Hey, Kevin, you know, tell you what I'm thinking, you know. We do that sometimes. We just have fun, you know. Maybe just five or ten minutes, a little pep talk about the, you know, they do it with me. So we just have fun. So I called Jeremy, I said, hey, man. 
this, this seems to be more powerful than I think I'm, I'm, I'm even able to comprehend. So would you, would you take a minute in your hotel room or wherever you're at? He's preaching in Illinois. I said, he said, yeah, I'll do it. So he, he called me. I need to show you the Marco Polo. Anybody got Marco Polo in the room? Anybody got that app? Am I the only? Two, three. Man, there's only a few cool people in the church. Come on, man. Just get Marco Polo. We'll talk back and forth. So this Marco Polo app is, is crazy because you can just talk to people like you're talking to them face-to-face, right? I know you can do FaceTime, too. Why don't we just do FaceTime? Anyway, okay. And uh, that has to be real time, though. Yeah, you can go back and listen to Marco Polo. I got to show you this Marco Polo. Jeremy, like, explodes off the screen. He's like, preach with this. Hey, this is amazing. He said, in the original language, the words come in this order. Sufficient for you is the grace of me. In other words, Jesus literally is the grace. Is that amazing? Jesus is the grace. He is the strength. It's his presence. It's his power. It's actually intimacy with him. It's all the same thing. It's all the same thing. Sufficient for you is the grace of me. Jesus literally said, my grace is sufficient for you. In saying that, he said, I am the grace. And then notice in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 9. Again, he said, but he said, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Perfect. That word perfect is the same word that Jesus said on the cross. Tetelestai. It is finished. It's complete. It's done. It's good. And now and forever. It's completed. You must see the need for the grace of God because it's made perfect in weakness. The grace is not effective until you see yourself in need of the grace. You've got to come to the place where, where, where you are fully Trusting Jesus in your weakness. That's when you fully experience his grace. When you see it. When you see yourself as weak and in need of it. That's why I want to say this this morning. To all of you going through something difficult. Obviously we've, we, we've, we've shared with you what Sharon and Richard are going through in their family. But listen. Tough time is not quitting time. Amen. I see Sharon nodding. Tough time is not quitting time. Tough time is not quitting time. The time we need to most commit ourselves and recommit ourselves to the things God has called us to is when times are tough. That's when it's time to recommit yourself and trust God with all things. Satan desires to have us that he may sift us as wheat, but Jesus said, I promise to be with you, and I have a purpose, and I have a plan. So in closing, two quick thoughts in terms of living with my thorn. And the first thought is found in the text. Paul says, and I'll paraphrase it, boast in your thorn to experience Christ's power. Boast in it. Okay, Pastor, let me get this straight. You want me to brag about my thorn? You you want me to brag about it? Well, first of all, let's get this straight. I don't want you to do it. I could care less what you do. I mean, it's, it's... not my business. I, I didn't say that. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. See, you got to understand, I'm just a messenger this morning. I'm not up here telling you what to do. I'm just relaying to you what, what Christ says through Paul to do. He says, look at the text. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly. 
I'll boast in my thorn. I'll, I'll glory in it. There, there's power that comes in boasting in your weakness. I want to take just a moment and be very intimately transparent with you. Some of you, I think, who were, will understand this more than others if you've known me for 12 years. And if you haven't, I think you'll still be a, a, attached to the, the, to the illustration just because you'll have experienced maybe something like it in your life. Maybe not it, but something like it. But back about 12, maybe 13 years ago, I was, uh, I was in a religious Baptist movement. And I was a very popular person in that movement. I was somebody who obviously I can identify with Paul. It was easy to be conceited in that movement because it was all about man worship. It was about being the man. It was about being the guy, having your name in lights. It was about traveling and preaching and being away from your family. And so 50 times a year I travel and I, I got status with Delta, you know, platinum, diamond. I hardly ever had a flight I didn't get upgraded to first class i mean it was incredible and there were accolades that came with that there were awards that came with that there was praise that came with that i don't even realize i don't even think i saw it coming but it just came through a series of events to make the story just a little more compact um god began to deal with me about things through messages through some experiences i had traveling away from the church and going to other places of the denominations hearing other speakers that I was I was told not to listen to outside of this movement and I did and God began to show me that I was I was following man and not him God began to teach me and show me very clearly that I was I was in a a, a movement that was glorifying man and not glorifying God and so I started to make some decisions to follow Christ and to abide in him and and, and to, to be sensitive to it. And I knew it wouldn't be overnight. I knew it was going to take some time. I knew it wasn't just going to be an immediate cutoff because I didn't know where to go, what to do. I didn't even know what decisions to make. So I just started with something, little things. Like, like you're going to laugh at this. I get it. I'm sorry. It's silly. But like, like let somebody play a guitar. Hey, what's wrong with a guitar? Exactly. But, or let somebody play a cajon. What's a cajon? It's like this little thing you beat on or... Or maybe put the drums on the platform and see if anybody can play the drums. And, or maybe let's, let's share a Bible verse that it, it may not be the translation we've always used, but I'll still preach out of that translation. But maybe every now and then I'll show a verse on the screen that's not that translation just to help the church understand more about what it means. I know that sounds silly to so many of you now. I'm just telling you my story. I did that. And then the door started swinging one way and that was out. Our college went from 300 students down to 30 and only seven in the dorms. Our school went from 150 to 50. Our church went from probably 1,500 down to about six or 700 total people with kids and church members in Spanish church and what little was left of what we called our bus ministry. People that had moved all over the country to this church because I had preached all over the country. Those people who met me in different places and said, we want to go and see, be a part of that, would move here and become your best friends. You remember some of them. And they began to leave. Maybe you almost left. I get it. It was the hardest thing I've ever been through. I, I can't explain to you how, how, how lonely that was and, and how I would come to the place where I felt like I had wrecked and ruined this ministry. And then you sit across from a banker and he looks at you, now that your church is depleted, now that the offerings have depleted and you can't make your building payment and you're 30 days away from foreclosure. 
30 days away from foreclosure. The bank, he pulls, he says, sign these papers because if you don't pay $100,000 in 30 days, we're taking your buildings back. We hate to do that to a church, but that's just the way it is, sir. And I would get up in the pulpit and try to fake it till I could make it. You know, and just, just determine that we're going to get through this and I can handle this and, 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 and my personality and my positive spirit and we'll get through this until God broke me. Until that third desperate prayer and God didn't take it away. And things didn't necessarily get better and went, go like I thought. And I, I, I didn't have a connection and I, I, I lost a lot of friends and, and a lot of people in the, in the church had left. And, 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 and I felt so alone. But I'm going to tell you what, what changed everything. I'll never forget it. I was sitting in a service at Gospel Light when we finally had finished putting what we called a worship team together. In fact... I know this is going to sound silly, but even that word worship was attacked. I can't believe he's using the word worship. It's a church service, not a worship service. And I remember thinking, wow, man. And by the way, you ever follow Jesus and thought that everybody would be happy about it? And then you find out, wow, I'm just following Jesus. Why isn't everybody cheering me on? But nobody cheered me on except for you (laughs) that stayed. And so to make a long story short, I, uh, I was sitting in a worship service. We had just put our worship team together. It was either Jordan. It could have been Joe. I don't remember who was leading the worship. But I remember for the first time in our church, I raised my hands and began to worship Jesus. I'd never done it before. And it wasn't the raising of my hands. Please don't take that as you have to. That's not necessary. But for me, it was just a moment where I I let go of everything that I had held on to for so long. And I finally came to the end of myself. And I embraced the grace of God in following Christ. And in a tangible way, I felt His presence. And I realized, this is so freeing. I'm following Christ now. I'm living for Him. I'm not living for you. I'm not trying to please you. And I love you, but I'm trying to please Christ. He's who matters, and you're not here to please me. You're here to please Christ, right? This is not about Erica Pacey. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus if it's just me and you sitting in here together. And I learned that, and it changed my life. And I decided I never want to go back and be the guy that I was. I don't want to be that guy. He was a nice guy. He could fake it till he made it. But what you're getting now is the authentic Erica Pace. I'm not afraid to tell you my story. I'm not afraid to tell you how weak I was and how discouraged I was and how, uh, you know, we never saw you that way. Trust me. That was because of pride. Because I didn't want you to think anything was wrong. What did you think I could handle it? But when I got to the place where I just let go and let God, look at the text again on the screen. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect. Think about that after that. My power is made perfect in weakness. Now I can boast. You say, well, so at San Diego, did you get bumped up to first class? I I haven't seen first class in 10 years. (laughs) No, I sit in the middle seat now next to two overweight people. Now, that's a, oh, yeah, it's fun. It's great. I I don't know what first class. Hey, well, what's your status with Delta? What status? (laughs) I don't have status with anybody. I mean, I got status with my wife a little, you know, sometimes I'll get foot rubbed still, but hey, praise God for that. Yeah, I've lost a lot. Sure, I've lost some status. I've I've lost some, 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 some upgrades, but I have gained freedom. 
I have gained the pleasure of knowing that it is Christ in me that is more important than anything else in all the world. Let me give you five things to help you boast in your weakness. Number one, counting your blessings is boasting in your thorn. Just count your blessings. In the middle of your weakness, in the middle of your thorn. You know, I look now at, at my children, my grandchildren. I think about all those weeks and months and years I traveled and left them here and got on a plane and went somewhere to preach for somebody who could care less about me. Just wanted me to tell some funny stories and woo the crowd a little bit. Then go home and deal with all my problems and all my heartache. And all the, time, all, all the while I didn't realize I was losing my own family because I'm, I'm out there getting standing ovations and Coming back to the reality that it's hard to give your dad a standing ovation when you haven't seen him in a week. Now look at Joe. Man, I, I lost Joe. I don't think I would have lost him to the devil. He loves God, always has. But man, if you knew Joe back then, that guy, he changed before any of us did. That old boy, man, he'd have red pants and yellow socks and long hair. and I mean... I was just afraid. I, yeah, goatee that went down to like here. The weirdest dude ever. I remember thinking, what is happening to my son? <laughs> I mean, what are people going to think when they come to town and see this weird kid that's not like every... Well, you know what? God used Josiah to change me. God helped me to see that it wasn't what's on the outside. It's the heart. Amen. It's the heart. I think at some point Joe would have just said, Dad, you know what? I love you. You're the best. You'll always be my dad. But, Dad, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of being a phony and a fake for you. I'm tired of having to put on certain clothing when certain people come into town just to make sure that they don't think, they don't know the truth. I'm just glad, Dad, now we could be real. We can, we can just be authentic. I look at my blessings, my family. I look at you. I look at, that's why I love what I do now more than I ever have before. And it's not about how many seats we can fill. It's just about whoever comes, let's just have a good time. Let's not, let's not talk about who didn't come. Let's talk about who did come. Let's make, let's make the most of what we have and let God give the increase. Amen? And then secondly, elevate your prayer life. That is one way you can boast in your weakness is just increase your prayer life with focus, with fervency. Can I tell you, I don't know that I knew what it was like to have a real prayer life until I experienced a thorn. And, and it boasted my appreciation of prayer and the value of prayer in my life. Thirdly, lengthen and deepen your time in God's word. It shouldn't be, you know, let me read my daily croutons and just get a little thought from the word of God. No, let's get in the word. Let's, let's look for something. Let's get our pen out. Amen. Let's study. Let's underline something. Let's learn something from the Word of God. Let's go to small group. Let's, man, you know, we may not have as many corporate gatherings, but I believe our church has grown more spiritually in the past 10 years than we did in the first 20. And we go to church gathering-wise less. But I think we're going deeper as a congregation. Fourthly, tell your story to people. Don't be ashamed of it. Tell your story. You say, man, preacher, that was sure honest this morning. Well, that's the new me. I'm like incredibly honest. I'm like, I tell, the, I just tell it, I just, this is who I am. I can't, I feel like if it can help you, great. And I just want to be transparent. Amen. And then finally, 
Focus on the prize. Keep reminding yourself about where all of this is going. I love 2 Timothy 4, 8. There's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. Listen, church, the future is bright. And there's something God has that's going to be amazing for all of us. And then finally, be content in your thorn. Boast in your thorn, but, but be content in your thorn to experience Christ's purpose. Christ has a purpose. Look, and by the way, content does not mean that you have to like it, that you have to enjoy it. I don't, I don't necessarily like it, and I don't necessarily enjoy it, but I can be content, which means I can accept it. I can embrace it. I can submit to it. I can live my life with the thorn and accept it. What am I content with? Well, look at what Paul was content with. Content with, first of all, he said, with weaknesses. The New King James translates that infirmities. I'm content with my physical problems. Secondly, he said, I'm content with insults, relational trials. Man, I had a ton of those. Man, I could show you some emails that I received during this time where it was so difficult sometimes to read through those emails of what people were saying and, and I was losing the relationship that I had with people for, uh, for 10, 20, 30 years was just, it seemed to evaporate just so quickly. And the relational issues were so difficult, but I had to just say, you know, it is what it is. I'm following Jesus. My relationship with him is more important than, than anyone else. In fact, scripture says that our love for God should be so much more than our love for anyone else that at times it may even seem like we don't even love them because we love Jesus so much. And then he said, hardships. Be content with hardships. That might be our financial or material trials. He said, be content with your persecutions, spiritual trials. He finally said, I can be content with calamities, with fears, with anxieties, emotional thorns. How, Paul, can you be content with these things? Look at verse 10 in closing. He said, for the sake of Christ, I can do it for his sake. Here's why I can be content with my thorn. Because I love Jesus so much for his sake. Because he's the purpose of my existence. Because it is his glory and his fame that I'm living for. Amen. And so I can be content in my thorn to experience Christ's purpose. And I can boast in my thorn to experience Christ's power. Well... Anybody remember when, I'm going to close with this. Anybody remember when Bree Kemp was born into our church? Claudia? Well, let me tell you the story. You ready? So Claudia Thomas, stand up for just a second. So here's what happened. I met this girl in Chicago. Give me a little fist bump. Yeah, I'm sorry. I missed that. So I met Claudia in Chicago. She was a little teenage girl living with her mom and sister and grandma. And she would ride the bus to church. And my wife and I, actually my girlfriend and I, well, I, we were dating. And we would take them out to eat. We'd buy them dresses. We spoiled them. They, we kind of adopted them. Well, Claudia went to college and she graduated from college. She moved to Hot Springs. And guess who she met? This handsome dude. <laughs> he said, you can say that again. <laughs> to keep you from being seated. I'm sorry. This ugly mug. <laughs> you can be seated, yeah. So, so they meet each other, fall in love, and I get to marry them. Well, 
then comes Bree. I won't go into details, but then comes Bree. <laughs> and Bree was born into gospel life. Elijah first and then Bree, right. And so Bree became just a little princess, to be honest, Bree. You were just a princess. And I love your family, loved you. You were always so special. I, I don't even know if you knew. I was kind of protective behind the scenes. You know, I am of all the girls. I, I really am. I don't always make it known like that, but I'm, I, I want what's best for them, you know. Well, then Kyle Connor came to Gospel Light first. Second was Chris, and third was Cody. Well, Cody moves in with me, and Kevin and Paula were on the mission field. So Cody moves in, and Cody, I, I become like, you know, dad number two, you know. I got your permission, though. You, you said it was okay. So he said, he, yeah, he even said, whoop him if you need to, preacher, you know. <laughs> and so Cody lives with me, and we, we, we developed a really close relationship. I watched Cody grow, watched him, watched him struggle, watched him go through some trials and some thorns. But then I watched him begin to accept those, embrace those as, as God's plan for his life. And God had a purpose, and the plan and the purpose ultimately was a lot of things. But one of them was to, was to marry Bree. And as, as Cody began to get, get set free and experience that freedom and that victory, God built this relationship, brought them together, and they got married, and they've been married now for about a year. Bree's expecting their first child. Is this not amazing? I think back to that time I knocked on your door, and here we are. And so this is Bree and Cody's last Sunday because Cody and Bree have accepted a position to be the youth pastor and multiple other titles at Hamilton Hills Baptist Church in Fishers, Indiana with Matt Thistle as their pastor who's a graduate of Champion Christian College. I say all that to say this, church. I don't want to miss this moment of sending them out because the truth of the matter is, is even the message this morning on thorns and trials and endurance and grace, this is a picture of it. This does not happen with, without the grace of God. And without prayer, right? And just trusting God through it all. And so what I want to do as we close the service and as we, as we have a worship song, I want to ask Cody and Bree to come here to this, just the, the platform or the, the front of the cafeteria here, our, our, our made-up church while we're waiting for air conditioning. Come on up with me. I brought some oil. And I want to ask all of our elders, all of our ordained preachers to come first, if you would, and gather around them. We're going to lay hands on them and maybe dim the lights a little bit i mean just like we did for the service and and i want to just pray and send them out church would you be okay with this would you be okay with receiving the blessing today that our church today has the privilege we're going to miss them right we're going to miss them but we have the privilege of sending them out and by the way we need to be a church that is not just taking in but a church that is sending out a healthy church does not keep everybody here a healthy church is always occasionally sending someone out to, to, to share the gospel and to reach others. I'd like to ask those who would like to gather around the elders and the ordained pastors. If you know Cody, if you know Bree, if you'd like to join us, mom, dad, come on. Uh, Dave and Digna, uh, family members, come on around us for, uh, first. Yeah, come on. And then anybody else that would like to just do that, come on. If you know them, if they're in your small group, if you've had a relationship with Cody and Bree and to some extent, awesome. And I'm seeing those that are standing know them. They, Yeah, here's... Uh, yeah, this is great. 
Awesome. We love you guys so much. Cody, I love you, buddy. I'm proud of you. Bree, I'm so proud of you. You're so beautiful. And you guys are such a blessing. Church, would you join us in prayer? I'm just going to take a little. You say, what's the significance of the oil? It's just symbolic. It's symbolic of, of the presence of the Holy Spirit in them. And so we take a little oil and we just, we do what Scripture says. And that is anoint with oil and lay hands. And, and, and sometimes we pray for healing like we will tonight for Sharon. And sometimes we pray just for God's grace to go with someone as they leave the church. So join us in prayer after we pray together, you, us, together. Jordan, our worship team, are going to lead us in one last worship song. Thank you for joining us. Let's pray. God, I come to you right now. Lord, I come to you with a spirit of gratitude and thankfulness that you have given us, a church, the blessed privilege of having Cody and Bree in this congregation. Lord, I think of their story and I think of their journey. Lord, not only when they were just young and and growing up in their homes and in their churches, but God, now that you've brought them together through gospel life, through champion, and now to a a marriage altar, and, and now soon, God, to a delivery room and to a new church, God. Oh, Father, the journey has been, Lord, there's been ups and downs and bumps and bruises, but Father, you have been so gracious. Your grace has been so sufficient through all of the trials and all of the struggles, Lord. We stand today, Lord, claiming victory over Lord Satan and over all of his destructive plans, God. They've been defeated by the power and the grace of God and the prayers of your saints. So, Father, we come to you today asking you to go with them, Father, that you would empower them to reach young people. Lord, that fishers would, would be changed, that Hamilton Hills would, Lord, experience in many ways, Lord, the fresh anointing of this young couple that's excited about ministry. Not much experience, but, Father, a heart to learn, a heart to receive wisdom and knowledge from you and from others. So, God, do a work. Oh, God, do a work. Father, I pray for this baby in Bree's womb that you'd keep it safe and strong and healthy. Oh, Father, may this next few months be so sweet and precious. Father, I pray for new friendships. I pray for their small groups. And, and God, for those that they'll be, uh, Lord, getting to know. And it's going to be difficult leaving family. And I get that. And, and there'll, there'll be times when they, when they miss their family and when they miss their church. But, Father, I know, God, that you're going to replace that with a joy and a passion for their new home and their new church and new friends. And, Father, may we rejoice in that. So, Father, we give you glory, we give you praise, and we give you Cohen Bree. Bree. We pray that you'd go with them and strengthen them and guide them and give them, Lord, everything they need. Thank you for them. Thank you for Cody. Thank you for Bree. Thank you for Jesus and for all that you've done. And we pray these things in your name. Amen and amen.